Hey, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the Vialucci Podcast. Honest, uncensored, and unedited discussions about life and everything in it. So sit back, relax, and let's start the show. I quite like the idea of you sat at a really small table. You know, just you hulking you at like some little table. I have to be on my own in the corner. When I get sat and there's like you weren't sat, you weren't with uh, anyone. Yeah, you know when you have like a line of tables and it's not your own tables. Yeah, like there's another table here, another table here. If that's the oh, we're talking about tables. Uh, That's fine. Yeah, I think if you're um, if you're on a big group or if it's the design of the restaurant is to be long tables, that's fine. No, it's just tables next. Tables shouldn't be touching. There needs to be a foot minimum between each table. God, he's going Trump germaphobe again. If the the tables are touching, that means. I've got to now be spatially aware. We'll lose the whole podcast to this. Let's say hello to John. Hi, John. John. Movie, movie expert, John. Our resident film critic. Okay, um, glad to be back. Um, so we're doing be- our gangster films, yeah. but you said you wanted to bring okay, something up. Okay, so um, just before we start, this is a really great book to um, bring up, which is um, which is basically by the late director, Sidney Lumet, who did films like Dog Day Afternoon and Sir Picole. Um, I can't recommend Wrote it. them. He did a lot of other ones. There's a, but the book is called Making Movies. Now, if anybody out here, there is wondering what a lot of the definition of filmmaking people are, this actually is highly effective because it defines what it is. Um, it talks about the whole process or his process. So there's things about how he created the some of those memorable scenes in Dog Day Afternoon, Murder mm-hmm. on the Orange Express. So sorry. So what did he do? Write it or direct? He, he directed Network, oh, right. Serpico, Dog Day Afternoon, Twelve oh. Angry Men. Um, he talks a little bit about the the intricacies and the logistics of what what he goes through as a director. Yeah. Um, about you know what the day begins, you know how he does rehearsals. Okay. Um, and he talks a little bit about the studios, but it was written in 1995. So. Although it's 25 years old, the actual principles of what's discussed in this one will be welcome to any, um, yeah, and it, any things. And it also comes with recommendations from the late Roger Ebert, the film critic from okay. Chicago sometimes. And also on the back, there's um, a quote from Steven Spielberg. So what's that, that called? It's called Making Movies. Um, I got it from a copy in foils, but you can buy it online. It's about 13 quid. I mean, my copy's there. Um, Probably on aud- not on audio, but dev- definitely you can get it um, somewhere. So end of plug. That's I just it. say, if it all, see if it's if it's not in audio yeah forget it i can't i can't read the whole book so but is that because if you're dyslexia or yeah i can't there's you, no fucking okay. way it take me an hour to get through the page first page what a normal book looks like so forget yeah. this, I, don't, I don't even bother so technically it's yes. a disability it is i can't read the book there's no way yeah, yeah. so the need there should be any book that comes out if you want to get under disability act there should be an audiobook version as part of like the disability mm. I'm sure that I, I, I want a, a, a dyslexic ramp into a book. <laughs> yeah, I know. I understand. There probably is for most books, but obviously you can't, you can't yeah, expect on if it's like a small publishing house or I think they probably don't have the money to. No, but you think, oh, mind you, nowadays you think that every book should be audio. Good, you imagine, imagine, yeah, there's that's probably, probably the majority you'd think. There's probably most books, but it's just obviously the whole back catalogue of books from thousands. And I like autobiographies. The problem is, yeah, if I listen to your book and it's not you reading it, that's it. I'm not yeah. going through it. I don't care who you are. Well, a yeah. lot of people, you know, there are a lot of famous actors who will read a lot of those classic books. Mm. So, you know, and I, I think it's, your a, I, I couldn't, you've got I couldn't read. agree more. I mean, I don't know whether, um, somebody and somebody related to Sidney Lumet or whether Lumet himself did it before he died. Right. Yeah. Um, but I just think I, I was so enthralled with this book. I mean, I read it very quickly. That's the great thing. It's just, one, the yeah, sure. There. 
Um, so it's it's just worth reading because and there's also things like the call sheets, what's described on a call mm-hmm. sheet, um, what exactly a teamster is, you know, what the assistant director is, you know, teamsters in they're like union people who drive people. We'll, we'll get on to gangster films yeah, in a exactly. second. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, what so, did you think of? Are we going to talk about? Um... Well, I will be touching on it briefly about the Irishman, but my okay. problem with it is that I just think it's too familiar. I just kind of feel that it's, it's, although it's, I don't get me wrong. I think it's enjoyable. I liked it. I enjoyed, I enjoyed it. I liked it. But the problem is, is I'd seen it before. Yeah. I sort of, um, I had intended to see it. I'm, I'm so behind on so many films. I haven't even seen the latest Star Wars, but, um, I, I did. The one thing that made me get, like it was I thought, oh, it's like getting the old back gang back together, you know, for yeah. one last ride. Kind yeah. of one of those. It almost <laughs> felt like one of those 70s films, you the know, where they get all it, the old actors back together. I like that it's a real story and all that. The only problem mm. with it is, if you're going to have out, you can't, Al Pacino is so specific. Ooh-ha! You can't, if you're going to have him in your film, don't make him shout. Yeah, but <laughs> then you can't, that's, you can't so that's have Pacino, him in the film. Mike, that's the whole but thing. But then it, don't play it. You can't play a person well, that's known because his Pacino the whole, shout. The whole, thing about, the whole thing about it is, is that I think this is what I, this is the whole thing about it. I just think it was like, look, we're, you know, De Niro was pushing for this and were it not for the um, inputs of Netflix. Because, mm-hmm. They actually almost pulled the plug on it because it was 90 million. It was originally a 90 million film. And it was a full on movie. It, it was basically what it was, was because, because of the de-aging process, because of what they were using to oh, get right, the yeah, techniques yeah, yeah. on. I mean, even though that was the weird thing about that, I was half expecting a whole, about half hour sequence of dinner and all it is of him standing over a grave shooting somebody. Yeah. It, that, that was the most disappointing thing because they used it on all the, the technique. And then from a technical point of view, I think it's very, very good. But, it's like, look, I've seen this film before. I'm, I'm kind of at a point now where, look, I don't want any more kind of Italian gangster epics, you know, coming. <laughs> With the same yeah. three characters. And I, I think, as I say, I think this is kind of like a nice little swan song. I think this is the same. It's with nice this. to have Joe Pesci back. Yeah. No, it's, it's yeah, that's, yeah. I've got no, I've got, listen, I've got no beef with, um, with what was made. I mean, Scorsese is a great director. He, this is the sort of movie that he does very well. Yeah. De Niro. Pesci, Keitel, De Niro, Pesci, Keitel, um, Pacino. I mean, that that was the real selling point, having Pacino and De Niro back together alongside it and having you know, the fact that they'd never worked before with Scorsese, had never worked with yeah, Pacino that's before. Thing, isn't it? Yeah. That's the selling point. But it wasn't because Netflix actually started, were looking for content. And so even the studio didn't want to finance the film you know that they but what, what's the negative of it well then? it wasn't that it's just that it's too expensive yeah because you've got you've got to kind of to me it's more like a two-part tv movie yeah you know, it's kind of like if you know the irishman i think the upside of it is now with netflix is that you can have this multi-platform idea although that said like we were talking just before the podcast began about 1917 yeah i think there's a purely cinematic certain movies have a pure cinematic feel um, the fact that Netflix had actually said, well, we're going to put it in cinemas because people can watch it because it's Scorsese is very much a cinematic director, but he now has the crossover of putting it on Netflix. Same with Dolomite is my name, the Eddie Murphy movie, which again is my, is his best work since Beverly Hills Cop. They're not filmed Love differently him. knowing they're going to be on a TV Netflix. Did it well, hang on. It was in the cinema. Then. It was in the cinema before it, oh, it right. played in the cinema initially. And then they put it on Netflix as a full on release as a full on release. Oh, you, can't, you can't get Oscar nominated otherwise. Yeah. So they had to put it in, they had to put right. it in the cinemas to qualify it for Oscar. So if you were just, if Netflix were going to make a film for Netflix, yeah. it, would it, would they film it differently knowing it's going to be on the TV screen? No, the, it, it's, it's simply today because television and film, like the, 
if you think of what's happening now with things like Westworld, you know, the creative writing, you know, the, the wonderful thing now is that there's a whole generation of writers who are now creating this very solid product. You know, Westworld, I want to see it, but I've heard some really great things about it. It's, it's like, you know, the Michael Crichton version I watched mm. recently, and I think it's a really great idea, but it's the, you know, the fact that Game of Thrones is now superseding something that, you know, when you think of things like the Beastmaster and the Conan the Barbarian and stuff, you know, people are now using television as a great way of telling these epic stories. You know, some stories do warrant a um, warrant a longer canvas. So television yeah. is you suitable for that. Yeah. In the cinema, for example, it's becoming much more event movies. So if you take Star Wars, for example, you know, I... I'm kind of was kind of relieved because I've been waiting for, you know, I've been waiting 30 years for the final ninth, ninth film of the thing because they announced in 1980 and I, I didn't feel cheated. I, I was glad that this happened. Well, great. Now I can leave that behind and just move on. Um, so television. You need some closure. <laughs> so yeah, no, th that was exactly. So television does give, I think what happens now because people are now, there are certain writers who want to do long form content. Mm. So Amazon, for example, people like Amazon and Netflix and Apple plus, <clears throat> or these other companies, Disney for plus, for example, with the Mandalorian, then now with the potential for what you can do with visual effects, um, you know, with, you know, but it's all down to the storytelling. Um, in the case of the movies that we're going to talk about, is it have Netflix got their own cinema somewhere? They've just opened up their own. Cinema? Um, I don't know. Yeah, they have. Really? They've Can opened up. A, they have Netflix yeah. cinema. Is it England or? Um, I, think I think it's in America. I'm not sure. I think it might have even been something that they bought. You know, like a famous prestige. Because that could cinema. be like a thing in it. Like twenty years, you could go to the Netflix. Yes, but it would everywhere. be. I mean, you couldn't. Uh, they would have to. They would be. I think you'd. Um, um, anti-monopoly laws would mean they probably have to show other people yeah, because that's what I'm saying because it's because there is a thing with um, because the thing with uh, with the whole cinema thing is that I, I feel the airplane team summed it up in a interview when they were doing Top Secret yeah. they were talking about the fact that they they did when they did uh, Police Squad on TV they said that this is the reason why we did the Naked Gun or Top Series because people, there's so many distractions at home. You know, don't or don't get me wrong. That what I love about home cinema and digital, you know, streaming is the fact that it does retain the quality of the, the work that you watch. Whereas 20, 30 years ago, when you you know we all we had was VHS, so people had didn't really have a clue about how to present their films. They thought, right, we'll buy a film, we'll stick it on on a tape put it out in a video library. That's it. Nowadays, you know, you get the proper ratio. So you have these really great special editions on Blu-ray. Um, and that retains quality on, on TV of high definition. I think we've discussed this before, but it's, that's the kind of thing is I, I think, I think the cinematic experience has to be retained. I think people will still want to go to sim because kids want to escape. You know, yeah. kids don't want to stay at home. Or, you know, you, you're going to have, if you have like a family of four, Mm. And the kids, you know, want to take their girls, you know, they want to go out. It become, it's still a great day. Thing, so. I think it's different films suit different medium and different stories. Sorry, Karem, so, you were going to... So it seems they bought out this cinema theatre called Paris Theatre in New York. Uh, like a 70-year-old... Yeah, that was it. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking it was... It wasn't one I knew, but... Um, where Whereabouts is it? It's in New York, but... No, but whereabouts not, in New York? I am... Uh, I mean, here it doesn't... Okay. Right. 
Uh, we put him on the pressure. It's, uh, oh, it's, it's actually around Central Park. It's very. Close oh right, so it's okay. So it's more is Fifth Avenue. Like okay, so yeah, Avenue. so that's kind of like the north of the thing near Central Park. Oh, that's great. So that's thank a, you, Karem. That was Karem, right. our producer. Hang okay, on, for, I was just looking at the the making movies. Um, uh, what do you call it? What's this bit called? What, making the movies. The preface. Yeah, the title. The, I, I need to see what the page is. I can't guess what the page is. Ten pages there aren't needed. Yeah, oh, but that contents. Means, yeah, but it's a, like, it's uh, a well, quite not like your magazine. straightforward stuff. I thought it'd be quite high flute, but like the what the, the chapter one is that the director, the best job in the world, yeah. are writers necessary? Yeah, but that's the whole thing. Is he, he, yes. Can actors really chapter. be shy? I mean, yeah. that's quite an odd thing to. But he talks, as I say, if you <clears throat> when you read the different sections, um, you you get a sense of it because he talks about the logistics and about their process and about how they do it. So yeah. Right. Um, okay. So, Mr. Gangster Film, oh, are you taking a picture? I want an audio book it to see if okay, it's fair on. Enough. So, we're talking gangster films. We are, yes. <laughs> so um, we so, started at the end, I guess, with Irishman. Yeah. So, we're going to go back. Um, pretty much the movies. I I was thinking about this because I, I think we're looking at different things. So, it's like there's five sections that I've brought into which we're going to talk into the context. First of all, it's the genre itself. Why I like gangster movies, the style of gangster movies, mm. the common vision of gangster movies and the locale. Um, we will be talking about two of the, with, well, two classic British gangster movies, plus, of course, um, six um, American <clears throat> gangster movies. You pretty much, I can't, I'm not even going to, you, you, you will know which ones they are. I think this is going to be like, unlike the usual shows that you do with us, where you tell us about some, some very interesting or completely obscure, but very brilliant film that no one <laughs> no else has heard, heard, which we like, because yeah. it's all, but I think, to be honest, I think if you ask most people, here's my, with the odd exception, you know, they might go for something, you know, like, well, suppose, is City of God a gangster film? City of God actually is a is that the Brazilian, it's a oh, Brazilian yeah. boom. Well, yeah. it's more about the, the slums of, yeah, because I was thinking, is Boys in the Hood a gangster film, but probably oh, yeah, not. I forgot it, about gang that. But it's more, it's, element, but it's, it's weird because, you know, it's kind of like the black experience. So I was, so the ones I've gone for is I'm, I'm going to give you the list just to say. Um, so Godfather 1 and 2, Goodfellas, Scarface, Untouchables, Carlito's Way, and then the British continuities along Good Friday and Get Carter. Um, good filter. So the one thing I did notice was that ev- most of gangster movies always seem to be adapted from a novel or source material of some kind. So we're going down the list. So with the exception of Long Good Friday, which was original screenplay by the late Barry Keefe, everything else is based on a book. So The Godfather is based on Marion Puzo's novel. Have any of these um, been made into theatre plays, gangster films? Um, um, no. no? I, I think... They're quite... Because they're just set pieces, aren't they, really? Well, Barry Keefe <clears throat> was a theatre writer. He did do something. And then... The, so the story goes, he, he was looking for something to watch on a Friday night. And then he, he came up with the idea of doing a story based on Easter, on the Easter weekend. So it was originally called the Paddy, um, I think the Paddy money or something. It was um, the was Paddy, like, fa- no, the Paddy factor. And what's famous about this movie. Irishman. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but basically what had happened was when it was made, it was actually Lou Grade actually was going to sell it to TV. And a group of critics in London, led by Barry Norman, said, this is too good a movie to be released. You know, so um, George Harrison, as he did with The Life of Brian at the time, saved the movie and then put it out in the cinemas. Mm. So, um, so just giving you a brief rundown, it's about a guy called Howard Shand. So what film is this? This is The Long Good Friday. Okay. So Howard Shand is played by Bob Hoskins, who's brilliant in it. He's, um, He's a very well-known and respectable gangster mm-hmm. um, in um, in London. And he, he wants to put together a deal with the American Mafia. 
This is the film we're talking about. This is the film we're talking about. (laughs) So, unfortunately, um, just as the Americans arrive, um, played by um, Eddie Constantine as Charlie and his his sidekick, his his lawyer, um, all of a sudden a series of bad incidents occur. So, for example, one of his main um, delivery guys, um, Colin who's um basically goes to Belfast he gets stabbed yeah by the by Pierce Brosnan yeah yes that um, was it, yeah and then basically um his driver gets blown up they discover a bomb in the casino does Pierce Brosnan do his I'm, I have I have seen this film but not for a while does he do the Irish accent does he, he doesn't do, do he's actually silent but he plays he, yeah. he's briefly in it for about two or three scenes but he actually is but the great thing is he's he's so cool in it so you yeah. can imagine him when when you see him in the film he's actually the way he holds the gun you can you could kind of see him well he would look great it's, the, it's the steps isn't it you know yeah. it's, it's long good friday then yeah. it's remington then it's bond yeah. you know but um but it's also notable because um helen mirren who plays his his partner victoria she plays this very intelligent um this this gentleman she's not the usual gangster's mole and i mm. think she's it's one of one of the reasons one of the great performances why Helen Mirren has become such a great actress. She is a great actress yeah. and she's tremendous. What year is this? This, this is 1980. Wow. Um, so what's significant about it is the actual screenplay. The, the, I've ne- I can't recall a movie, a British film, where there's been so many great lines. I mean, it's just fantastic. Like um, he says, um, I mean, there's some, the wonderful line is, is um, there's a line where he goes, um, what was it? He, uh, there's a line early on where he goes, he goes, yeah. You know, the Yanks love snobbery. They always like it when they, they come over to here and the middle class stream like shit. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, there's things like, um, he goes, it gets, you know, you know, and there, there's a scene where his, his pub gets blown up. He goes, hello, Parky. I think the dinner's got burnt. <laughs> and there's sequences like, for example, um, there's, I mean, one of the most memorable sequences is in Avatar where he's gab, basically everybody's scrambling around and basically they sort of haul people in hanging upside down on hooks and stuff. And then literally there's a, there's a whole thing goes for more than 10 years. There's been peace. Everyone to his own patch. I've done every single one of your favors in the past, put money in all your pockets. (laughs) And then it's like, um, but there's, I mean, one of my favorite lines was the one where, um, um, there's a thing where, um, he is Collins died and he goes, um, and, He's in the baths where he's been stabbed, and and the guy who runs the this pool attendant he goes, he goes, um, Howard, um, we're gonna send him over in an ice cream van. He goes, oh, that's great, sending him on with dignity in a raspberry ripple. <laughs> um, so there's like, and it, is Bob Hoskins still alive? No, he died. No, he he retired. But um, the other one is he goes, he goes, um, like he, there's there's a big meeting in this room, and he goes, um, he goes, well, two brothers. He goes, well, basically split him up. To pick him up together and spring apart. We're messing with their telepathy. <laughs> um, so the the great thing is, is um, my whole point is, is the the movies. It's it's always interesting when you think of these gr- movies that the lines, the dialogue, is actually what defines them. And the other thing as well is, you know, when somebody says something pleasant, you know, damn well, five minutes later, if somebody says to me. I think we're going to take him on a ride somewhere. And, you know, damn well, yeah, that take means, him yeah. to a bush and kill him. Yeah. Who uh, directed this? This was a guy called John McKenzie. And what and did he done? He did. Well, later on, he since. did the, um, he did the Michael Caine, the excellent Michael Caine, Frederick Forsyth adaptation, the fourth protocol, which again starred Pierce Brosnan. So it's about blowing up a bomb on, um, blowing up a bomb on, uh, on American air force base. Um, very topical now. It's it's a great movie to watch. It's it's one of those that Michael Caine um, 
produced. He co-produced it, and it's it's a really nice. If you look at films like The Born Identity and and the later James Bond, I mean, Kane actually, you know, because he did the Ipcrest file and Funeral in Berlin, this sort of was a return to his doing the Harry Palmer type type thing. So yeah, that that's that's what's what, the relevance of the name of the film. The something goes down. The no, fourth, the Friday. The long Good Friday. Well, it starts on Good Friday. You oh, know, it okay. starts because it's and um, you know, effectively, it's it's a it's the weekend, and then all of a sudden things start happening, and then um, it actually features Gillian um, Tailforth in it as well. Who was oh, really? she? Actually, has a, there's a there's a scene. Between, Why do I know that name? Um, from Beer. EastEnders. Kathy oh yeah, yeah. So she she Kathy. actually has a sequence where she, at one point she discovers a body and she turns up. She's got a hair. She's barely recognizable. Um, there's other people like, I mean, a lot of the characters in the, a lot of the actors in there, Brian Hall, for example, who played Terry in 40 Towers, he was in there as well. So, <laughs> so he's, he plays one of the henchmen, um, PJ Moriarty, who plays Razors, um, was in there. Um, Paul Barber is in it as well, who What's played, he? Paul Barzer, who played Denzel in Only Fools and Horses. He oh, actually right. gets, um, well, he has a very unpleasant moment where Razor, he slices his ass. But, you know, there's a very powerful sequence where he goes, this is, um, this is Razor's, also known as Clapham Junction. Nice. Um, and, <laughs> and, but, so that's the first one. And I, ju I just wanted to point out, it's just an amazing um, piece of it. It's Some, uh, it was a funny them days when there's like 10 British actors that were just in everything that went from the build yeah, to his I mean, to movies to back out. Yeah, Grange, was, they started in Grange Hill. <laughs> it was, it's odd as well to see that film and go, oh, that's Bob, lovable Bob Hoskins. What's he up to? Oh, no. <laughs> well, this was actually his breakout film. And actually, yeah. um, David Denby, who's one of the top American critics he said that the funny thing is is when you watch hoskins in when you watch hoskins in um the longer friday it's very much american thing so i'm gonna lead on from that to the untouchables and i'll tell you why um, kevin costner no it's not that this there's an oh. interesting connection between the untouchables the 1987 film. okay so this is an interesting story robert de niro was the first choice of brian de palmer to play Al Capone in The Untouchables. What year is this? 1987. Was that not a Kevin Costner thing? Yes, it was a Kevin Costner thing. Oh. So this oh, is the story. Okay. So this is the story. So Bob Hoskins, because De Niro was not available, De Niro, De Palmer, Brian De Palmer tapped up Bob Hoskins to play Al Capone. So oh. of course, Bob Hoskins went off and went off to play it. De Niro, De Palmer said, sorry, Bob, we won't be needing you anymore because De Niro was available. About three weeks after, a check for 200 grand arrived on Bob Hoskins' doorstep, door, he, because he basically got paid the full salary. Oh, wow. And he says it was, at, and Hoskins said at the time, it was the easiest 200 grand he made. <laughs> um, so we're going to move on to the De Palma trilogy, the gangster trilogy. Now, ba basically, just to recap, these were adapted. I mean, The Untouchables was an update of, a TV series with Robert Stack, who who was one of the in airplane and stuff, but it was like the Elliot Ness thing, and it was scripted by David Mamet, directed by Brian De Palma. Um, but it's a and then Scarface was a, a, originally based on a novel by Armitage Trail and made in a film in 1931 with Paul Mooney. And the 1980 we're going to talk about the 1983 version, which is the famous Al, Al Pacino version, which was updated by. Um, 
Oliver Stone to Miami and about the whole drug lords. Was the original Scarface anything to do with immigration? It was. It was different. It, it was. A, it was a classic bona fide gangster film. So okay. it was pretty much in the realm of things like Humphrey Bogart's James Cagney films. It was. It was your bona fide. How was the gangster making money? It wouldn't be drugs, would it? It was different. It was like Alcohol, it was prohibition, yeah, yeah. that kind of okay. thing. So, um, so basically, the the movie is just to recap, it, it, just to say. Um, a Cuban immigrant called Tony Montana. This is, this is Scarface. This is Scarface. Um, basically, Castro gets rid of all the immigrants from Cuba. They arrive in Miami. Flushed or his toilet onto America. Flushed his toilet, yeah, flushed to America. <laughs> and then, basically, Tony Montana is one of the people who then gets put into Freedom Town, which is this slum, it's a bit like the, the, the immigrant, the refugee village in Paris recently. And then, basically, a local... Um, a local gangster businessman called Omar Suarez, who's played by the Oscar-winning actor Hef Murray Abraham, who played Salieri in Hef Amadeus. Amadeus. Um, he sort of says to him, right, you want to make some real money? You've got five grand if you go and pick up this cocaine from these Colombians at a Miami hotel. Can I just throw a little fact trivia? Listen you to, can. Um, you know the bit where he arrives at the port and the copper, um, who's the copper, it grabs him by the face. Yeah. So dad, you get these. Yeah. Uh, Eating pussy. Yeah. He, the, when he first did that and he grabbed his face, the, the director said, cut. And he took him aside. He said, don't touch the um, De Niro. What's his name? Pagino. He yeah. said, don't touch his face. So they did it again and he did it, but he didn't get anywhere near him. And then Pagino cut the scene and he went, what the fuck's going on? And he said, oh, I'm not allowed to touch her. He said, "Get the fucking thing." That's why I said the next time he films, he really grabs his fucking face and yeah. throws it. But the but director told him not to touch it's him. It's not that uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, essentially an, an extra, an ex, you know, a supporting uh, background role like that that you would initially. Up I mean, it's great that he did just really, that, yeah. that you would just grab. You know, if it's yeah. not in the script, you wouldn't grab. Yeah, the director actually stopped it, and then he said, "Like, don't touch his." Face. There's actually the funny thing is they they show you some of the the changes to the TV, the original TV version. Nowadays, oh, yeah. it's great because you watch it. But they said, you know, the scene. He goes, "Where did you get that eating pussy?" Yeah, and then they said, "No, no, I, where'd you get it? Eating pineapple?" Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> so on, yeah. continue on. So he he goes <laughs> to this hotel room with a group of people, and then basically there's a bit of a standoff, and then his friend gets there's a chainsaw that comes into the zone, and I saw this on late nights, and it because you don't technically see it, but it freaks you out because yeah. it's a bit like Reservoir Dogs because you you think it's there, and so basically he he gets this whole thing, and then he starts meeting. Um, Robert Lodger, who's a local crime hood, and then he brings the the cocaine to there, and then he grows and evolves as a as a gangster, and then he meets, um, and then basically there's a Colombian um, drug lord who he becomes part of it, and then it becomes bigger and bigger and then more excessive. Um, the the gang Robert Lodger's um, wife is um, Elvira, played by Michelle Pfeiffer. This was her first big role since um, since Grease Two, because Grease Two failed. Oh, she was Grease too. She was. She played um, Stephanie Zinon as one of the pink ladies, sort of in the thing. But the movie didn't do all that well. But then she auditioned for Scarface, and that became that transformed her into what it was. Um, And then it just gets more excessive. The the explode the violence just explodes, and then there's that incredible final sequence. He goes, "Hello to my little friend." (laughs) Um, But it's you know, I I think it's 
nowadays, I mean, people have looked beyond the violence and the excess, and it's actually one of the great American style movies of the eighties. Mm-hmm. But it got toileted, didn't it, when it first yeah, came out? Because it, you know, it, um, I mean, famously, um, famously, Joan Collins said at the premiere, he goes, "There's 169 fucks." He goes, "Jesus, that's more than I'll ever get in a lifetime." <laughs> um, so that's the first one. Then, um, so going back to the Untouchables, which in some ways actually is a Western posing as a gangster film. Because it doesn't look in a way, although it's very much the story of Elliot Ness v. Al Pacino, um, the action sequences for me... Is it during the Prohibition? It's it's 1930, the Prohibition. It sort of heightens it. So, of course, the story is is Elliot Ness. He's a a fresh-faced new um, federal officer. And basically, Kevin Costner Costner screws up. And then he meets Jimmy Malone, who's this disgruntled cop, and then... There's a whole thing where he meets him on a bridge and says, you know, you want to throw your garbage away? Throw it in a goddamn trash basket. And then... Because um, uh, it's Sean Connery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, the, yeah, and then basically um, he... The next thing is there's um, a guy called Oscar Wallace who's an accountant played by Charles Martin Smith who basically wants to get Capone on tax evasion. And Ness says, look, just sit there. And then basically um, Malone takes Ness to a hotel and he goes, you pulls a knife, you pulls a gun. You want to send the ocean to the hospital? Want to walk? That's the Chicago way. Then he basically recruits this this sharpshooter from the cop, the police, who's who's not been corrupt. Who does the gangsters? No, um, Ness and Malone. Okay, and it's basically um, George Stone or Giuseppe Pedre, um, and Andy Garcia comes in, and then essentially um, they they start picking up. And the first battle is actually on a bridge on the Canadian border, which is this terrific sequence. This is where it sort of diverges, diverges a li- diverges a little bit from the gangster thing because it's a western. It's like a great mm. sequence where they're riding on horses and they're shooting people. Then Frank Nitti in Untouchable in the Untouchable. Yeah. Oh, so, right. and then Capone sort of gets really angry, and then of course things start happening, and then and then it and then there's this wonderful sequence. Um, there's a, there's a Grand Central Station shootout at the very end, which was basically improvised by the Palmer because the original sequence was going to be on a train. So, unfortunately, they ran out of money. The Palmer says, "Give me a um, a pram and a few guns and a few things, and we'll stage it out here." And then he paid homage. Was there a pram turning up in a minute? Oh. Um, basically, it's a homage to Battleship Potemkin, yeah, the, the Odessa, Odessa Step, step sequence. Yeah. So, silent, it's so, a silent film. So, oh. Battleship Potemkin is actually about the Russian Revolution, but there's a sequence in it where basically Eisenstein stages this amazing sequence where people are being shot on the stairs, and the pram is actually one of the defining images. There's always like a single image that happens. So, for example, um, you know, it, it's kind of weird when you, th- you know, like how objects can define a movie you know, like the ring, for example, in Lord of the Rings, or I suppose, you know, the lightsaber or stuff like that. So in in Potemkin and then subsequently Untouchables, the pram is actually the thing that goes down. Um, and it's got a great score by Ennio Morricone. Okay, so that's that one. Um, Got to talk about Carlito's Way. Um, this was, again, totally contrasting film. Funny enough, they're all period bombs. Scarface was set in 1980. The Untouchables were 1930. Carlito's Way is 1975. When so it was released? It was, no, 1992-93 was when it was released. Yeah, I was going to say. It was based on a, a pair of novels by a guy called Edwin Torres called Carlito's Way and After Hours. Um, Carlito's Way is actually his upbringing in New York. But it's actually a very 
literal film book. I mean, the book itself, the film itself only retains certain characters like Carlito and David Kleinfeld, who is the, 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 um, the character played by Sean Penn. Carlito Briganti is, again, a Puerto Rican gangster who's just been released from prison. He is, um, he's a lawyer, Kleinfeld has negotiated an early release. So he kind of goes into the neighborhood, and then his nephew says, you've come to this place, and, you know, you walk in there, you're a goddamn legend. So he, there's a perception of him being this incredible legend. And basically, this, this drug deal goes wrong and his nephew gets killed and then all of a sudden Carlito's the old instincts kick in and there's a shootout where he actually has to escape so he takes the money that was from the drug deal and he decides I'm going to invest so he he has this dream of going to the Bahamas to sell cars and he's going to do it and he's going to raise his 75 grand so he he's just the old one last deal thing (laughs) so he goes to a local nightclub with um a um, with a local club owner called Sosa, who he nicknames Ron. He calls himself Ron. He goes, there's this thing in film. So basically, Sean Penn is doing okay. Then there's a gangster in prison on Rikers Island prison bar called Tony Tagli Lucia. Kleinfeld is not as, as straightforward with it as it is because basically he takes one million from Tagli Lucia, but then Tagli Lucia says, you've got a million credit. You're going to spring me from the barge. And then, of course, things start yeah, closing yeah. in on it. Um, if you watch the movie, you can kind of sort of sense how it ends because basically the movie kind of opens. And Sean stuff, Penn starts so, doing drugs and it all no, falls it, but, <laughs> but that's the funny thing because the opening shot kind of, which I thought was a shame because I think the film has a certain Hitchcockian, the climax is a certain Hitchcockian thing about it because De Palma's Hitchcockian influence plays on it. Mm. Um, there's a great score. The other thing is there's a fantastic score by Patrick Dore, who was Kenneth Branagh's composer. He did things like Dead Again, a lot of the Patrick, but he's, he wrote this really beautiful score. It's brilliant. It's also got a great 70s music score, like You Should Be Dancing and, and um, you know, the Backstabbers and stuff like that. Um, but the other thing is, is the amazing performance by Sean Penn, who is totally unrecognizable. He has these really big hair things in yeah. there. But it's a really nice companion piece to um, a really nice companion piece to Scarface. You know, although the difference is, is Carlito is a man who wants to go straight. Tony Montana's got no moral obligation. He no. knows damn well he wants all the cocaine. I mean, there's that wonderful shot with the mountain of thing. <laughs> was uh, there? A, was there a second Carlito's way? Um, there was. was. It, it was on. It was on video. Um, but it was a different yeah, film, it, it, but it kind of went straight to view. It's it just using the name. Yeah, it was, an, it was a totally different thing. Okay. Um, so back to Britain and the film that sort of defines all gangster movies in the UK, and that's Get Carter, the original 1971 version. Michael Caine. Michael Caine. So not the remake with uh, Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. We're not talking about it. Is this one with the mini? No, that's the Italian job. So I had the pleasure of actually interviewing um, Tony Klinger, who's the son of Michael Klinger, who's the producer. And I spoke to him about this. And I asked him, he said, why is it that Get Carter has actually endured? He said, well, because it's the attitude. He said, a lot of the movies, the gangster films like the Guy Ritchie things don't have the attitude. Now, a bit of background, Michael Klinger was a was actually a pioneer. He actually sort of ran a series of film movie theaters. I can actually send you the link to the interview. It's a fantastic, I was really, I was quite proud of this interview because this guy, Tony Klinger actually worked with the who 
on the kids are all right, you know. And he he talked about um, John M. Whistle and stuff. I mean, I'll send you the link because it's a fantastic interview. Um, so again, this was adapted from a novel by Ted Lewis called Jack's Return Home. Um, Michael Caine co-produced it with Michael Klinger because he wanted to get into producing. He was established as a star because of Ipcrest file. Um, it's about a guy called Jack Carter who decides to go up to Newcastle to investigate what happened to his brother. So Michael Caine is the main Michael Caine is the main I'm assuming this is Michael Caine playing Michael Caine. No, it's quite different, I think. Well, it's what, when you, if you, when you think about it, it was 1971. And of course this was the time of straw dogs get, of Clockwork Orange yeah. when violence oh, right. in films were there. Um, the thing, it also features Brian Mosley, who was Alf Roberts in Coronation Street. And he is the most, there's a scene where he gets chucked, where Michael Caine chucks him off the top of a, of a, um, of a car park in Wall's End. And that was actually a famous location for years. It had disappeared um, from Newcastle because Newcastle was developed as a city. So this is quite a violent film, then, is it? Very violent. Oh, really? It's yeah. also quite surprising if you, when you watch it, it's actually, um, you know, so it's also the fact there's a scene with Brick Eklund where Michael Caine actually seduces Brit Eklund over the phone, and she's sort of playing with herself. Oh, really? Um, but there's a, there's, it's a very sleazy. The whole kind yeah. of, the whole kind of sit, the context of it is that it's actually for the time that it was, it was very, very sleazy. I mean, Hitchcock had, was about to make Frenzy, which was a very violent movie for the time which is against the grain of what it was i love the um it's it's again it's to do with the sleaziness i don't want to say uh, who who's it who's in the film because it's a bit of a spoiler but there's a bit where they're sat down to watch uh essentially a porn film yeah um and the shot is just michael Fain, uh kane's face watching it yeah. and you sort of but just it's such a brilliant piece of subtle yeah. acting so what's the story who is he a gangster is he a... um so it's his brother is killed yeah his it? brothers who kill. so he goes up to essentially he goes up without revealing too much the story is his michael kane going up to discover what happened to his brother and then he so he's not a copper again. He's not a copper. No. He literally goes around and then he starts pursuing people. Um, it also has a great score by um, Roy Budd, who mm. did the Wild Geese and Who Dares Wins. It's a really great um, jazz type score. And um, it was directed by Mike Hodges, who went on to do the Flash Gordon movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's going to a leap. <laughs> so, but, but, it's, but it's such a fantastic thing. I mean, he did a, um, and it, that's cool. So It's um, got one of the all-time best endings as well. Yeah. Absolute spoiler territories we won't even go yeah. here but it's got but it's, one of it's the a fantastic but it but it, but to be honest with you i i i kind of you know we could talk about layer cake for example matthew vaughn's layer cake with daniel mm. craig that actually for me is was was one of the best of the best of the things since longer Friday because that's got mm. a lot of twists and turns got sienna miller in okay so we're now going to move on um to the last two because i think inevitably we have to talk well we must talk about goodfellas um, again, this is adapted from a book by Nicholas Pileggi called Wise Guy. Now, if you're wondering why the title was changed to Goodfellas, it was simply because in the 80s, there was a series on TV called Wise Guy with a guy called Ken Wall. Now, Ken Wall was an actor who was in um, in the films. He was in The Wanderers, which was directed by Philip Kaufman, um, which was a, a really beautifully New York thing in that, that. And he also was in a film which was directed by James Glickenhaus in 1983 called Codenamed the Soldier, which had Klaus Kinski in it. And it was. Sorry, it was. Uh, sorry, the film was called Codenamed the Soldier. It was called Codenamed the Soldier in the UK. It was originally The Soldier in, um, in America. Hannah right. um, had a score by Tangerine Dream. Anyway, cut long story short. Um, Nicholas Pileggi wrote this book called Wise Guy, which is based on the life of Henry Hill. And. The book was optioned by producer Urban Winkler, who was the producer on Rocky, 
And there's and Erwin Winkler has actually written a great book, My 50 Years in Films, which you can pick up, which has got the whole story of Rocky, Raging Bull, King of Comedy, you know, the right okay. stuff. Fascinating book. It's it's in their books now. There's a great picture of um, Erwin Winkler and Stallone outside the cinema on open day for Rocky. Um, so this is... This was a movie that brought Scorsese back to the gangster genre. He'd so already what year did this come out? Seventies, nineteen ninety, nineteen eighty nine, nineteen ninety. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. So it was a little bit different to what you know. It was kind of like a companion piece to Mean Street. So Mean Street was the start off point, and then basically um, Scorsese worked with Nicholas Pigalegi on the script. Um, it kind of it's it kind of defines really what happened every kind of movie after that kind of defined it with the voiceover and the sequences and stuff like that. I mean, the famous, how the fuck am I funny thing was an improvised yeah. situation. So when you watch the sequence, the funny thing is, is you can kind of even hear Scorsese laughing in the background. Cause it's like, he's doing okay, the sequence. Really? So the funny thing is, is everybody in the cinema, it's such a very funny moment because you know, the kind of contrast because it's it's it weird because you you have this sequence where you know the way that it kind of goes from you know it's it's very intense and he's he's sort of you know damn well Pesci's this exploding thing and then all of a sudden he goes gotcha it's like a tremendous windup I mean I love the sequence where um, the young Henry Hill um, he you know the father says to him you know you haven't been to school in months and then there's a sequence where they they he points out the post office and he goes, he goes, any more letters go to the house in the fucking oven. You're going to go. <laughs> and then there's the sequence where, um, then Lorraine Bracco meets as well. And then of course there's that famous sequence with the, the Copacabana club where they design the actual, oh, yeah, the sequence, you know, the steady cam shot. Um, so it, it's like it's quite music heavy as well. Isn't it? Like, well, Scorsese, just... the relationship, it's, you see, it's also impossible to imagine a Scorsese movie without music. It's impossible because of the fact that, um, you know, whenever I think of, you know, I, I can, you know, a lot of people sometimes pinpoint Give Me Shelter by the Rolling Stones. That's a song that always tends to turn up in, it turned up in The Departed as well. What's oh, that? What's the song? Um, you know, no, give me shelter, just a shot away. It's no. just a shadow. You'll, you'll know the song yeah, if you hear yeah. Um, And it's one, probably one of the Rolling Stones' best songs, but it was used at the beginning of The Departed when um, Jack Nicholson's talking. Um, and then it's also as well, the way that they edit the music together. So, there's a sequence where a couple of bodies are discovered in the car and they use the play out in Layla. When they find the two brothers. Yeah, yeah. You know, the sequence where he's... No, I remember the scene. I'm trying to remember the music. It's the... It's the, the piano. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Watch it again. Um, so I, I always found it was it's such a. I mean, Samuel Jackson's in it as well. But there's, 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 there's also the sequence where they, at the very beginning of the film, where Billy Bats is in the thing, and he goes, and you know, there's kind of like the the intensity of the violence. It had changed somewhat from what we'd seen before, and I think Scorsese. It's like Scorsese had a habit of he had a moral or a very artistic. What's the, name, what's the name of that actor? I've forgotten that. It's Vincent something, isn't it? Yeah, the chap the that grey they, hair. Vincent yeah. Chiarelli, I think Yeah, because he's, all, he's, he's always all, the guy. <laughs> but he gets his own back in Casino, finally. Yeah. he gets Because he gets Does beaten he? up by Pesci in um, Raging Bull as well, doesn't yeah. he? Oh, yeah, but he gets yeah. his own back, finally, in Casino. Yeah. But, it, but it's like the, the whole mix of it and about the fact that 
Um, you know, I, I like, there's a moment where... Get your fucking chew shine, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> but there's a sequence when um, when the neighbor sort of has attacked, when the neighbor's attacked um, Henry Hill's wife, and then there's that sequence where he sort of goes up to him and he, oh, bashes, him, that, yeah. he bashes him with the thing. But there's also that contrast where the where Lorraine Bracco says, when he goes, there are many women who have got out there. I have to say, it turned me on. And then there's, of course, a sequence where, you know, the police would turn up at the door and she says, you know, I could never understand why people would spit on their own floor. Um, and then it, it kind of, the way that it's, it's the pacing of the film, it's the fact that you get really involved with all the characters. Mm. You know, there's a sequence after the, the, the robbery and then everybody turns up, he goes, he, and somebody's wearing a mink coat and he goes, I've got to show you the car. Didn't I tell you not to get anything? <laughs> yeah. And then, but there's also the thing where. <laughs> he starts pulling the coat off his watch. Yeah. Saying, What's happening? Yeah. Just give him yeah. a fucking and then coat. Then Shut the fuck up. And, and then of the course, there's, but the thing is, it's like, I can't imagine, no other actor can do what De Niro's or he goes, what did I tell you? What did I tell you? What did I? T and that's the other thing why I think it's in in any other genre, people would never get. You can't imagine the way people talk in a. If you you can't imagine somebody in the Jane Austen movie doing what they're doing gangsters. You know, like you can't imagine Darcy saying, "Bennett, what did I tell you? What did I tell you?" We're not going, you know, we're, yeah, he's, you got, know, he's got that sort of thing where he's being violent, but he's trying to be quiet at the same you time. Can you, can't, you can't imagine it like in a, in a costume drama, like a working title costume drama, yeah. you know, like, the, you know, with, with Lily James or something like that. And they're going up and he goes, that's the next one. Uh, uh, gangster, <laughs> pride and gangsters or something like pride, yeah, pride, pride and prejudice and uh, two smoking barrels. Copyright Andrew Ford right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's like that. So the, the, the thing is, is, um, there's there's a way there's also a manner about the style of it. I mean, if we're yeah. going back, so you know the locale is interesting. I mean, in England it's interesting because Longer Fridays London get Carter's Newcastle. So there's a kind of look, you know, the with the exception of that very few films, gangster films in the UK are actually shot outside of of London. You know, London seems to be this thing where yeah. you know there's a there's a wonderful thing with the location. So they'll, so, you know, so a lot of the Ray Winston movies, you know, the Nick Love, well. The business, the one which with with um, Danny Dar, for yeah. example, is actually a pretty good movie because all go Spain, Salt, Spain, they, yeah. Spain and stuff. And Georgina Chapman, who is Harvey Weinstein's ex-wife, she plays a role in that as well. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I get. Is she the um, uh, the his what his his now ex-wife, as in most recent ex-wife? I don't know if he was. Yeah, he's before, his yeah. ex-wife and yeah. stuff. But she plays this role where she's actually kind of she's a very playful character in that one. Anyway. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and so of course we come to finally, oh, wait, is that the Lufthansa? Is that Lufthansa? Yeah. yeah. So that was a real thing, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, it, it was based on, um, like he, he disappeared from the witness protection program in 19. I think he oh, breached right, yeah. it. I think Henry Hill. Yeah, Cause he is, he, he, it is a real story, the, isn't it? Whereas, yeah. whereas some, uh, some of these are sort of suggested by real life. Yeah. Uh, these aren't because I think Casino is kind of sort of real well, Casino, life. Not, well, Casino quite. started because of an article. I think what they said was it started the act. There's a sequence in it where it started with an argument on a front on a front door, and then Scorsese decided to go backtrack to the whole thing. Oh, right, so, okay. it, and again, um, but with Casino, actually, let's talk a little bit about Casino because I mean, Casino again is is Scorsese. Um, it's a more epic tale, and I think, but it, it also has a tendency to sort of drag itself out a bit. I think the sequences are sort of overextended in a way, 
Um, I think there's too much Sharon Stone in that. that I think such a drag I, off of I, the um, film. I, it's actually, I actually prefer it to Goodfellas. I know that's blasphemy. No. No, I mean, so, again, that's only like yeah. I prefer. Well, like, just to let you know, I went to the I went to the closing night London Film Festival screening in 95 of that. Yeah. And we were all sitting there in the Empire. And Martin Scorsese stood up in front. He goes, he goes, I hope you've all done your homework because this is three hours longer. Yeah. <laughs> and nobody knew it was three hours long because right. it had been booked. Yeah. But it was like they, they because I think they finished it about two or three days before. They'd locked the picture about two or three days before the London Film Festival screening. So we're all sitting in there like that. I think actually, I have to say, there are things about it I like. I think there's um there's sequences in there i mean the scene with the um you know where the guys with the cars and he uses a hammer he goes you can either go yeah. out with the hammer or the money <laughs> but i also think it's got a bigger and broader soundtrack mm. than um it's got a great soundtrack um yeah, yeah and there's also that great sequence where um i mean the funny well the two moments that always stand out for me is where the where um they're in a golf course <laughs> And then the, you know, the, oh, the, the FBI and plane the, and the plane, <laughs> and the, and the plane, the planes. He goes, oh, the FBI plane landed because it ran out of fuel. But the other scene is that. Intense... <laughs> like, what did he say? Like hundred dollars, but they start getting the, go- yeah. the plane. Yeah. And then the, the other sequences is where De Niro and Pesci sort of stand there in the middle of the desert. And I remember when we first saw it, and everybody's laughing. And he goes, "You're only out the fucking out of here because of fucking me." <laughs> um, but it's like the. But again, I, I think there's things about it I like. Um, is I it d- the opening bit where he talks about having to dig a, 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 a bury a dead body and so I that somebody else comes along you've got to bury another so before you know it you're okay. at the whole fucking yeah. night he goes I mean, there's <laughs> a lot of holes in the desert it, yeah. and there's plenty of things secrets <laughs> that are buried in that holes um, but it's it's again I, I think since so it's, a friend of when we used to do security uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just reminded me there was a guy he used to talk about seeing fights and you say oh, what happened to him and what happened to the guy you've just thrown out and he said and he used to say oh he took he was all right he took a few robert de niro kicks you know, yeah. you know that he was on the floor and somebody was just stamping on i him. um i uh, i don't think they even show in the film but it's where it turns out the guy um he's got his feet up on the desk and he asks him to move oh, the cowboy yeah he says i want you to great tag him i want you to get him out of him i'm gonna throw him out of him i want you to use his head to open the fucking door i love that <laughs> i think that's how they should treat people you yeah. got your feet up in the yeah. fucking restaurant yeah. or whatever well, but, but, but that said, I think my favorite sequences in there are actually when, when De Niro's actually watching the, you know, for me, the scenes are where De Niro's in charge of the casino. Yeah. And the other one, he says, he goes, you don't have to have a license to run the thing. What you do is you put it in there. And then by the time they have a whole backlog or stuff, he just, so there he is in there. And then there's that scene he goes, oh, back home years ago. And then there's a caption saying, I think he was taking the piscal says it, when he says back home years, years ago. ago. But it's like the, um, but again, it, it kind of ties into the whole ambiguity that it's all going to get fucked up anyway and it's all using. What but, was the, the, the film with the guy with the wig and De Niro takes the phone and starts hitting him on the head? <laughs> Giving the guy who owes some money, does an advert, come to so-and-so's... Oh, that's... No, that's good, fellas. Mike Murray, he goes... Mike Murray has to... They go to, to collect some money. He goes to collect some money. It's actually the sequence just before, you know, the guy gets battered with the gun, you know, on... You know, oh, the, yeah. You know. Oh, well, yeah. Um, so he goes, Murray's wig. He goes, you don't get my money, you don't Murray's get... Murray's wigs. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, pay me. And he takes the phone and starts hitting but, him uh, over the fucking But head. I like, but also as well, when, when Billy Bats gets killed, and of course they're in Billy there, Bats. and of course they, he says, we've got to get that body out there. And he goes, goes, here's a wing. My mother's going to make some. And the funny thing is, there's that wonderful moment where I, the other sequence I do like is where they're about to go and get the, they're about Isn't to. Isn't that Scorsese's mother? Scorsese's right? mother. Yeah, the, she pops up. Another so, one that pops So the great in. thing is, is that <laughs> there's that wonderful moment where, and this is another thing where the tenderness of a sequel, this is what's great about Goodfellas. There's always tender moments. Mm. You know, there's tender moments with the, the whole thing going on. 
and you know there's freeze frames and it's such a wonderful um it's a wonderful um menu of editing and stuff like that but where you know that they they and then of course the scene sits down and like she's the mother's not aware that the um they're they've just killed a body and they're going to bury it okay. in the middle of something <laughs> and then she starts talking he goes look i'm going to make you some food i'm going to make yeah. you some food um is it the, the, the improv scene in um oh god I was, I was, well, it's, yeah it's casino when he goes to collect the money they keep sending the guy over to collect the money yeah and he's not getting paid yeah and he's complaining to her in the shop about oh, not that's being paid. why they've got the wire but it's yeah it's from something else isn't it when he's swearing and she starts to sort hey uh, that was improv by her yeah. <laughs> she said here he goes again sorry mom but these fucking guys are gonna fucking kill me yeah because yeah, wasn't it the idea that the mic was left from a previous operation or something yeah, like that? yeah. So i've got lists i've made lists of everything <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, they yeah. owe me i do that, but that's it just before we move on to the final um reflection um I don't feel, I think gangster movies have to be redefined and rebooted, I'm sure. But actually, Al Pacino's got a brand new TV show on, on Amazon coming out, which is the actual about a gangster pursuing Nazis. Oh, yes. It's, I a, think bre- that, it's yeah. a really, I'm, I'm you know. Well, he's an actor, isn't he's, it? He's playing it. It's actually his first major TV show, but it's actually. It's a series or it's film? It's a series. It's, oh. a te- it's like, it's a 12-hour series. I can't recall what it is, but it's actually a fantastic um you know they they reckon it's a really it's it's got really the potential to be another like epics tale it's like 12 films or something oh, okay um i i can't record these but that's it um and then of course the final thing is we have to talk about the godfather part one and two because, not part three well, <laughs> I, I, well this is a movie podcast well the, Godf- well the godfather part three was really kind of an oh, afterthought God. i think it was essentially what it was essentially what the thing uh, is. I think if you took away, if you just called that whatever the hell, if you just called let's go uh, made up title the Sicilian or whatever, people go, oh, that was actually quite good. I mean, you know, the actresses maybe yeah. a bit. Well, shoot. there was a film called The Sicilian. Uh, no, but you know what I mean. Like yeah, if they yeah. just gave it any other title, it I could think people start with would... a guy that's moved up and it starts yeah, with yeah, him it could have trying to get out aging gams gangster. Well, what's amazing is that um, you know when the logistics of his um, Coppola, Coppola said at the time, I think he was being interviewed for Godfather Part Three. He said, "Well, I never." thought there'll be a godfather part two yeah um no. the funny thing is is um the godfather part two is was actually there's only a brief it, it's what's amazing is the actual backstory of the godfather part two actually stems from about three or four pages in the novel yeah because he talks about the godfather was born vito andalini in 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 sicily in corleona in 1911 um because the book has the old dying consulary, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, that kind of thing. But I, I think there's there's been several versions of it. We, we kind of know about The Godfather mm. anyway. So um, I was first introduced to The Godfather through The Godfather, a novel for television. There is a second version which Coppola put together for television, which is which played over five nights in 1983. Version of what? The of God, the Godfather. The whole thing? The God, no, The Godfather, a novel for television. So oh, okay. it was actually Godfather Part 1 and 2. Right. Now, if you can seek this out, it's a very fascinating version because it's told in chronological order. So it starts with the opening of Godfather Part 2. Oh, okay. So here's the other thing. There are certain deleted sequences in it. So there's also a bit about Hyman Rothstein. So there's a scene in that. Um, it's, it, there's certain other elements. So when you play it out, it actually plays out the whole of right from the very beginning. So from his, you know, the revenge in Corleone, to the, Isn't like, the beginning, not Godfather One. Then no, the Godfather. It, the Godfather Part One opens with Bonacera talking to yeah. to Brando. Yeah, in this TV version, 
it starts off with the young Vito Andalini. Oh, he's uh, the one that's the top the kid, and then he goes off to it goes off to America. But it's actually the whole thing to it's basically Godfather one and two re-edited to do that. It was a seven hour version, but it's worth watching. It was played over five nights in nineteen eighty three. I mean, we I love it. It's what was it called? You know, it was called The Godfather: A Novel for Television. Yeah. And what can you find that? Can you? It was it was available for a while. <laughs> Who I was think. in it? Anyone of note? No, no. It's the two. It's the two original films. So Godfather yeah. Part One. Coppola has re-edited it. Oh right. It's so it's it's a, it's a different. It's, it's seven a, hours. It's a seven hour TV version. Oh, right. um, the other thing is, is they've edited out. It was actually slightly toned down. Some of the violence from yeah, so James Khan's death. And the the sequence where so when um, when Don Fanucci is killed in the film version, De Niro shoots his back, blasts the back of his head. You don't see that in in this version. It actually just cuts from the moment where he puts the gun in. So it's the same footage. It's, it's just a, edited. It's a different. It's it's the same two films, but they've oh. re-edited it as um as a chronological. So that the story takes place in in sequence. Yep. So obviously, The Godfather Two flashes. Of um, for one thing, it's got parts that take place before Godfather One because it's got the young. It's Vita. kind of. It's what kind it of. Called? It's called The Godfather: A Novel for Television. Okay. He's just pretending to write his dad. He's actually ordering his uh, delivery. <laughs> yeah, just a so quick pizza. Um, yeah. I'm not sure whether it's. It, I'm not sure whether it's available on DVD or it's anything. Probably somewhere on YouTube. But it's on VHS. It, but it is on VHS. There was a VHS version oh, released, really? which was the Godfather from 19. It was Godfather 1901 to 1959. So it was actually the version. But they did do a version. It's so odd that they've not released that. That might be a rights oh, yeah, thing, I guess. Series. Maybe or what? Because you think that in this age of DVD collections and people wanting to see, you know, I've got. Um, you know, a box set of the, you know, the five different versions of, of Blade Runner. Yeah, no, I've got that version. Yeah, it's so great. But you know what I mean? It's like, you mm. know, you think they would go, oh, here's the super mega deluxe version of The Godfather, which well, they includes... do have, well, they, they've, I think that's another thing is they've, they've probably released, I mean, they've, there's about three or four releases of The Godfather yeah, true, and special yeah, editions. Um, but I think, they, I know they did release it on VHS, I think, back in the 90s. I do remember that, yeah. you know. It's a shame that there's added footage as well on here. It says. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting, it's it's worth watching because I, I think also it's the version that I think introduced me to The Godfather in a way. Godfather Part 2, of course, is two stories. It tells the yeah. thing. Um, I mean, famously, the, we can talk about the legendary sequences where Pacino wanted, they, they didn't really want any of the people in the, um, in the film. Paramount were very wary of the film at the time because they did a film with Kirk Douglas two or three years before called The Brotherhood, which had failed. And Coppola was untried and untested. It was only after he won the Oscar as best screenplay for Patton, the George C. Scott film, that he actually was put in charge of it. But again, it was reduced to a very low budget film. Yeah. And then became a phenomenon. The book became a phenomenon. Then the film became a phenomenon. There's um quite obviously it's um slight is one sided, but it's um Robert Evans talking about the putting together of that film. The Robert yeah. Evans, the producer yeah. who died Decent, last, yeah, last, died last year, year didn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. Um producer of Godfather. Yeah, I mean he he worked at the head He head, was the head of studio. Yeah, he yeah. he sort of produced um things like Chinatown yeah. and um he was also involved with Ali McGraw at one point. Yeah, so some some of these films he was the producer of. He's kind of um he was the head of the studio basically. I think he jokingly said out of the eight stu- major studios in uh, Hollywood, Paramount was number nine when I took over. Yeah. And then but I of think course, he did. One. He was also the subject of a very fascinating documentary called "The Kid Stays in the yeah, Picture," the which, one, yeah. which was based on his biography. Oh. So that this is another thing is that there's a lot of um, 
a lot of these, um, it's sort of become the trend where the, you do get these people making these really nice exposés and they're kind of these authentic documentaries. So The Godfather was like a low-budget movie. Um, I mean, there's a, when, I mean, here's one of the sequences. When Gordon Willis was um, the cinematographer, there's things where they did day for night, where they did certain sequences. So in the wedding sequence, there's certain sequences where they shot at night, but it's cleverly edited to make you think they're in the shadows. You, is that presumably right. with the meeting with Bonacera? Yeah. The, well, the actual sequence when when um, when Al Pacino and Diane Keaton are speaking, there's a sequence which you know it's in the day, but they actually shot it at night. So the lighting makes you think there. You actually think it's in the shade of um, the trees, but if you were to turn uh, yeah. it around, it's like dark anyway. Um, Dick Smith was the makeup artist who did things like um, The Exorcist and Marathon Man. Mm. He was responsible for. Linda Blair's head turning and stuff like that, all the physical effects. Um, and responsible for sticking the cotton in Godfather's mouth. <laughs> I think, well, is, that, is, it, is that one of these things where many people take credit? Because Brando came, said he came up with that. Wasn't that his idea? Well, the story was this. It was Brando was, was basically box office poison at the time. Yeah, and the head of Charles Bludden said, he goes, as long as I am Hedron of Paramount, <laughs> you know, if you watch the Godfather look inside, he says, I'm not going to, you know, he will never get that part. So Brando says, well, look, I'll test. And then, of course, the famous sequence where he put the thing in. You can see the screen test where he put the thing in there. We have talked about some of the very funny, um, some of the sequences where Coppola was being, you know, they would fighting him to say, you know, don't get Pacino and don't get Jimmy. Yeah, because they wanted Robert um, Redford, didn't they? Yeah, something like that. But it's it's... But the thing is, this is where, you know, it's a happy accident. And, you know, I, I, I think this is a great thing where, you know, people are happily proved wrong on all counts. Um, and again, it, it, you know, I think my biggest issue with the, with the third film, for example, is again, it's a bit like the Star Wars films. It's kind of a victim of its own hype. I think we all kind of were expecting a great movie. Um, and again, it's, it, the Godfather Part Three is very much still remains an art house film. It's kind of like Blade Runner twenty forty nine. It's like all the kind of things that kind of irritated people about Blade Runner in nineteen eighty two kind of came to the fore again in Blade Runner twenty forty nine because it's not a traditional science fiction film. You know, I think Blade Runner has sort of evolved. You know, it was only because of the famous thing because of the work prints. You know, the yeah. work. You know that discovery by Michael Arick in nineteen ninety where he discovered a seventy millimeter print, which was a used for sneaks in Dallas and Denver, I think, from what I read from Newton Noir. Um, but I, I, I think that's fantastic. I think it, it, The Godfather Part 1 and 2 ushered in a new era of filmmakers. It is, you know, it kind of was the start-off point for the movie brats. You know, because if you think about it, Coppola was successful first, then you had um, Spiel, Lucas with American Graffiti, then you had Spielberg with Jaws, then you had, like, George Lucas' Star Wars. And it was... A, a period when the creative, the creativity of these great movie brats mm. was happening. So I think, you know, Coppola was the pioneer. He was kind of like the... Well, because he's a bit older than them, isn't he? Yeah. He was, and he was their mentor, wasn't he? Particularly yeah. Lucas. And then with, I mean, American Zoetrope, which was the stu the thing that they put together, because you had THX 1138, which was the expanded version of the short that Lucas did, which won many things and then went into there anyway. Spielberg, of course, around the same time of... Um, Godfather was making his mark with Jewel on TV, which became a theatrical release in, in the UK. Um, apparently there's one shot in, um, in Jewel where you can clearly see him on the side because on TV it was Academy ratio, but 
they did in 185. Oh, and you can clearly see Spielberg reflected in one <laughs> moment. Um, what year did it come out in? 73? 72 was... Oh, okay, so Blimey. just going through those movies, so you had... The Godfather in 1971, you had Jewel in 1972, you had Alice Don't Live Here Anymore in 1973, um, American Graffiti in 1973, Jaws 1975. Exorcist 77? Exorcist was 73. Oh, that early. Godfather Part 2 came out in 1974, Jaws in 1975, Star Wars 1977, Classic Candace 1977, um... Apocalypse Now, 1979, which everybody says is a, you know, work. He's always says it was a work in progress, even when they showed it in competition at Cannes, where yeah. he won the Palm Door. So what happened in the 70s? Was it a reaction to something? Why did we just happen to get a good batch of directors come out in the 70s? It's just, well, it's partly because they were all trained in the film. Were they the first? I was going to say, well, not like auteur sort of directors. Was everything too controlled before the 70s? I don't think it was. I think it was a, a time of change because you had the se sequence like in in and in the late sixties. You know that the production code had sort of started to slacken. So you had the rigidity. When you think of, I think we talked this before, where when you watch a western at the beginning of the sixties with the magnificent seven, people got shot and they went down. Yeah. You then had Sam Peckinpah's The Wild Bunch, and you had Bonnie and Clyde. You had Sam Peckinpah's The Wild Bunch. So the climax of Bonnie and Clyde probably has one of the most in, if you think of the sequence with James Caan, it's even more intense in Bonnie and Clyde. You know, the climax of the film where Bonnie, you know, spoiler alert, where Faye Dunaway and Warren Beatty get shot at the very end. It is quite intense. So it would always be interesting to see how, um, whether or not, if, for example, the you know, people were more resistant to violence, you know, if all of a sudden the production code in America said, well, we're going to still keep the guidelines, you know, the kind of sanity of the movies, um, whether or not we would have seen films like The Godfather or Goodfellas. Mm. Because the funny thing is, that it's like with Tarantino with Once Upon a Time in Hope. It seems to me that when you look at violence in films, because gangster movies effectively are part of that thing, part of that thing where, you know, the weird thing is Scarface was responsible for the hip hop. It became a big influence in the hip hop culture. That's that's an interesting contrast. It's it's weird. Well, how did why is it that a movie about Miami drug lords suddenly becomes such a crosses over and then becomes a video game or a you know Al Pacino recorded the voices for the for the video game? Wow, you know it's 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 crazy. What was the uh, gap between uh, Godfather one and two? Um, four years. Oh, just four years. Uh, so there the must have been more. I started working on the second one. Yeah. Well, Bob. Bob Hope actually had one of the funniest lines from the Goscars when it was nominated. He goes, Godfather 2 has got a great chance of winning. Neither Mr. Price nor Mr. Waterhouse have been seen in four days. <laughs> um, but the, again... The term mafia probably wasn't a big thing then, was it, the first one? Because it didn't really... It wasn't the 70s until I started to believing there was a mafia. So, I mean, until I then think, it was still I, like... But here's the thing is like a lot of the movies, you know, a lot of these kind of terms and definition like Cosa Nostra, you would... You would it, but it was a conspiracy theory, like that they thought newspapers had created this enemy called the mafia. Well, the funny thing is, is we would, as I'm sure you know, we we were talking about the horror. We were talking about horror the in the previous thing, and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was run was actually partly financed by the mafia. Bryanston releasing were actually a mafia back company. Why were they just trying to get money? They, they, they you the know, money. the famous thing is they nicked all the money. They t apparently took all the profits. <laughs> so again that was so and i was actually funny enough i was i was at an event um i was at an event um two days ago 
And I met an actor who is over from Milan, and he told me apparently that the, the Italian film industry is um, run by the mafia. Jesus, yeah, yeah that makes sense. So they sense. said that basically people are there unless women are only in there unless they want to fuck. So he's come apparently that that's big in Bollywood as well. That's still it's like thirty years ago in America. There, there's still it's basically who you know and what you're willing to do to get the role. Mm. But it's you know I I I well I, but that said I mean just summarizing is i think gangster movies are so lovable anyway i think it's i think they give us a way of we can watch them we can watch somebody on screen because it's make-believe but we can sort of not feel guilty we you know the fact that storytelling these movies overall can give you a a real sense and you know somebody's created these worlds be it miami and scarface be it new york in in um new york in you know the godfather well you know, they they become part of this and, you know, like, or, you know, everything also, a lot of these movies, you know, the cities are as much an identity as, yeah, as yeah. they are of, of the films, you know, it's, it's, it's impossible. You know, you can, you can probably have filmed, you could have taken the characters from, well, in a way they go to Las Vegas in, in, um, they go to Las Vegas. I mean, other films I could have mentioned is Bugsy. Yeah, Godfather 2, because it has some of the, that's the whole plan, isn't it? Is they yeah. move out to Las Vegas, yeah. but then once they get, once the home there gets attacked, they move back to the old compound. Yeah. And then, of course, it's Cuba as well, because there's a scene, the famous yeah. scene where they go, where he goes down, there's a revolution going out. So the use of location is also significant. Well, even the clothing, you could sort of show the clothing from each film and go, right, what film was that? You've got the casino, you've got the Godf- uh, the, uh, the Goodfellas, the, you can only, you put the suits out, Robert De Niro's mm. suit, to yeah. go, right, that's from then, that's from that date. Well, the funny <laughs> thing is, the, when, I, when I went to the screening of Casino at the London Film Festival, the first scene where Robert De Niro emerges and everybody giggled, because they just thought, what the fuck is he wearing? Yeah, the outfits. Right? Well, the casino, wasn't that bit where he's changing? He's got a meeting with a cowboy. Oh, it's because his trousers are hanging up. So <laughs> he sat behind the desk. He's got a suit jacket on <laughs> and, um, you know, looking, uh, you know, very splendid. Yeah. I and mean, obviously the fashion is horribly dated. But I he must, looks immaculate. Well, goes to the... I, must also, um, I must also mention in passing a really, one of my favourite films, which is also related, is the Jonathan Demi film Married to the Mob. I know, comedy, I know. Um, which it. is um basically michelle pfeiffer yeah. is um is she's she's this um gangster's wife and she wants to and it's got alec baldwin in it and stuff and basically she um she basically is a new york housewife and and he wants it's a comedy to, it's a comedy it's a comedy drama but she um she wants to go straight and then um basically her husband gets shot because she's he's having an an affair with the the local gangster, and then this, she decides to go to New York with her son. And Matthew Modine, who was who played um, Private Joker in For Metal Jacket, she he becomes the FBI man surveying it. And it, I I loved it because it's just very it's just very very silly. It's it's it kind of is a very cute gangster movie. Although there are moments of violence in it. I mean Dean Stockwell who plays the who plays Tony the head gangster, and Mercedes Rule who was the who played Jeff Bridges is partner in the fisher king um she won an oscar for the film mm. no no she didn't win she won an oscar for fisher king she didn't win for married to the mob um but i i think there's a playfulness i mean things like oscar for example you know there's that wonderful sequence at the beginning where um you know where kirk douglas slaps he goes that's to make you don't forget uh, it's got marisa tomei in it um bugsy we must mention the barry levinson film is very good um, i mean there's obviously a lot of um sort of gangster films from the 30s and 40s. I mean, you know, Scarface kind yeah, of they, nominated. They are, well, they they were very much 
studio based. I think they were very much buying into the mass audience thing. You know, I think we, we kind of think of, you know, you think of white heat and angels have dirty faces, you know, with, with James Cagney. I mean, again, he, he like Joe Pesci or, or Bob Hoskins, he compensated in attitude and menace when he worked, what he lacked in size. You know, he was so great at that idea because, but that's the sign of a good actor. You know, you was heard, that from a screenplay? Was it? Hmm? Was that a screenplay? Um, Angels with Dirty Faces. It was. It was one of the. It was one of the many films from the seven, from the third. The Stranger ended because I remember uh, listening to some podcasts about it or something. They were talking about how he was supposed to be seen screaming and all that at the end, yeah. being pulled towards it. But the agent said, "No, you're not having him on screen. Yeah, screaming like a baby. So we'll just show the shadow." Of him screaming. Yeah. <laughs> and of course he said the word in white heat, you know, look, Ma, top of the world, yeah. where, you know, with, and, you know, but they were very, they were of a very What's different. What's the one where he squashes the grapefruit through in the I lace? think that was Angels of Dirty yeah. Faces where he grabs it. It's such a horrid thing. And it, again, it's something like, this is 80 years old and this is really horrible. I mean, no one wants a grapefruit. But, but it's a, that's a good ending. I like that. The yeah. fact that you would sacrifice yourself. Well, those films the, always, um, but those films always had to have the moral the ending moral of code, the, yeah. the bad guy gets away with it. Yeah. I mean, will we call Brighton Rock a gangster film? Or oh, no? yeah. I mean, that that's another one. I mean, we haven't had a chance to discuss it, but I think Pinky, I think he hears, you know, the, the character is, again, Brighton is, um, you know, is another locale. But again, it's a Graham Greene novel. Mm. Um, you know. Are there any gangster films where the gangster doesn't get his upcomings at the end? Because they're quite simple stories. You know you can go on this freak ride, but it's going to be I fine. Suppose. They're always going to get... I don't think it would work. I think that's the joy. That's the joy is that we do want a bad ending in a gangster movie. You know, We, we want even... to see the baddies, but then as long as they go well, way back in the closet t- afterwards. Okay. Without, if you watch the end of The Longer Friday, there's, there's that, you know, I, you know, I think that final sequence is just, I think it's a testament to Bob Hoskins' performance because you watch it, just watch the last sequence and you're just thinking... The way, yeah, just watch it. That's a, so is there any film where at the end crime does pay? Uh, it's ambiguous, but I would say maybe um, a most violent year. Mm, I'll so sort of get away yeah. with it. What's that? What year? Um, so that's set in the 70s as well, isn't it? Yeah. And it's, um, it's to do with, uh, it's a very odd film to explain, um, but it's to do with sort of petrol prices, isn't it? Yeah. And that's got teamsters involved. He's basically... Oh. Um, transporting you know he, he um uh, buys and sells uh, it's all cut priced i don't want to go into it because it's very convoluted well but it, um but the irishman technically he doesn't really well did he, he went to jail i suppose that's his mm. perfect in the like, yeah because i mean at the end of casino he's free man at the end it's you know robert de niro survives and obviously he's he still lives as a he basically yeah, yeah, goes yeah. back to being a bookie but it's like but even mob. but even so it's like there there is i mean it, it's a kind of ambiguous happy ending because ultimately they did a lot of them because of their sins they have to re- atone and repent for their sins in some way because you know the moral the moral high ground is of the studio well, his but daughter doesn't want to know him and all that yeah sort of stuff. so that that's the thing is like i i think the problem is is if if you can't make you can't have like you know, a big assembly of people. Like you can't have a sequence like Star Wars where, you know, like Henry, Henry Hill or, you know, the gangsters are walking around and everybody's cheering. It doesn't work. Because, <laughs> you know, the problem is, is that it wouldn't work because then again, you probably have somebody, you'd probably have somebody sort of on a, on a high platform sort of with a sniper rifle. Let's blow them all up and they'd all be down, you know, they'd be shooting down I'm anyway. I'm trying to think now if there's a gangster... Because it's quite a simple story, so you'd always have to have the look. There's all the stuff that you want to be, but don't worry, it ends. Yeah, but it's it's, it's, a vica- it's the vicarious thing of like, oh, look at the gangsters. But you know, 
but obviously you have to, I suppose, many Mafia, things have to say. Mafia, um, turned, I'm trying to think if there's one where someone yes, just gets scot. I, I suppose you could argue then the story hasn't ended. If they've got away scot free, that just means people are going to say. Well, well, they say crime doesn't pay. You go no, the ones that did pay, you don't know about. That's yeah, the, the ones who the ones who had the bet, millionaires who, in yeah. Spain now. <laughs> well, yeah. it's like I mean, I mean, although it's not a. Although it's not a gangster movie, the last abduction, which is the John Dalton with Linda Fiorentino, oh, yeah, where she yeah. played Femme Fatale, there again, there's that's a I, I, an ending that works. But again, it's the fact that you know the character again that she's manipulated everybody. So they're kind of it's kind of manipulating the audience. But you have to make sure that there's little subtle moments. You know, it works differently. But in a, I mean, in The Godfather, for example, again, it's not the very climactic shot of the film is just about, well, he's, it kind of sets it up. It sets up who he is, you know, for what it is. And then there's that final shot where the door closes on Diane Keaton. You know, she's sort of said, well, look, I want you to, I'm going to ask you this once. Did you do those people? And then she does that. Now, of course, he says at one point, he goes in five years time, you know, the Godfather family is going to be legitimate. And, but the truth is, is that, fate and destiny are always going to bring those people back. It's kind of like in the Godfather part three goes just when I thought I was out, they pull him back in and then he collapses in Carlito's way. For example, you know, he's, he's a talented gangster. You know, the thing is he's trying to break free and they said to him, Carlito, let me, let us speak the truth. You could have given me up in there. And then you have Viggo Mortensen, who was the Laline, who's the gangster. And of course he turns up at the, at the club where he is. And of course, and Carlito says, he goes, he goes, I've got some new people downtown. And you know, you know, downtown when he says that you're thinking you've just sort of fucked yourself over. And he goes, he goes, he goes, this is how you repay my friends. He goes, I'm not going to fucking kill you. You lost motherfucker. You know? Yeah. But it's like the, the characters, you know, the characters are, it's not through, I'm not sure whether you could, they're, they're, they're not blameless. Yeah. Characters are not, bl- gangster movies are not blameless. What we love about them is the fact that, A, we're not, we, we are moral, you know, we're good people. You know, we watch gangster movies because we, we are kind of like, we are, um, you know, we're voyeurs of violence. You know, the thing is, it's, we can play it safe because it is a make-believe world. You know, it's a very intense make-believe world, but we watch these movies because, A, we, you know, if you take, going back to the Irishman, we are looking at these actors playing things a certain way. We are taking in, we're taking into account like the fact that it's a Scorsese film. You know, we know for a fact, when you look at this movie, it's like, well, because of Goodfellas, they're so strongly defined. So whenever we see Scorsese and <laughs> Pesci in a Scorsese film, we go, okay, so where, when's he going to sort of bash somebody's head? Like yeah. in, in Casino, there's that sequence where they're in a bar and he goes, De Niro picks up with his pen and goes, is this your pen? He goes, uh, so? Yeah, he's talking to someone else in the yeah, bar. And, and he, he goes, he goes, is this your pen? He goes, I'm just saying, it's a very nice pen. He goes, why don't you take that pen and show it? And then, and then basically Pesci sort of stabs him. So you know at one point, this is the thing about the Irishman, is that you know at one point the, the characters are going to have to do something. In a gangster movie, it is a law of averages that they've got to do something violent. It's very difficult. It's it would be very difficult for me to watch a gangster but film. The, a lot of the gangster films are not actually played as baddies, are they? There's always a, they an affinity know, they, of like they feel sorry or well, they've lost something. Well, here's the thing: the 
Bill like Duke, they've lost okay, out. The black actor Bill Duke, who was in Commando and oh, Predator, he said yeah. he said when he did um, he did a movie a while back. I'm trying to remember what it was, but he said that actually bad guys don't think they're bad. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, they don't. They're not the, the they, family they loyalty. Don't, and, they don't. Yeah. You know, if you if you think about it, I mean, the Godfather movies are like you say. You've just picked up on it. Like most God, most key films. Gangster films are about family. The Godfather yeah, is about yeah. a family trying to go straight. You know the fact that you know the Marlon Brando character is like a key well, figure. Well, their argument, I mean, particularly um, uh, Vito's argument, is you know that we're no more or less corrupt than the senators and yeah, all the politicians yeah. who are pulling the strings. So yeah. we're not going to be pulled by them. And if you keep saying our own family, strings. family, family, yeah, yeah, conjures yeah. up an ethos but that's, of but that's, no villain thing. But all that, villains are yeah. the heroes. But that's the other thing is that. The period drama does allow you doing something which is in period actually just allows you to express the thoughts of the time. So the Godfather came out of a comment on America. Now, whatever Coppola's, you know, this is the interesting in art, in what you do in art or in film, for example, is that you have a way of expressing your point of view about the world. You know, Ken Loach in the UK, for example, Ken Loach is an absolutely fantastic filmmaker. And we love him because he does make interesting statements, be it what he's just done now, you know, like, you know, you know, we, uh, we sorry we missed you. Again, is a really great comment about entrepreneurialism against, you know, to getting in with getting things together. But he does tell, so, you know, the, or the political kind of perception that you do get with, I mean, gangster moves like Oliver Stone, for example, again, it was his statement about, it was a statement about America in the eighties. Maybe he was making a statement about immigration. Um, you know, Scorsese, for example, he does like his statements about New York. He wants to talk about things. You know, he talks about, um, I think Jack Nicholson says something in the departed where he says, he goes, when you're facing with a loaded gun, who, whether you're a cop or a criminal, what's you know? the difference? And again, that's the thing. It's like he, you know, and uh, and again, if you want to talk about the depart, that was based on a Far East, a, a Japanese, um, you know, internal affairs. internal affairs. Was it infernal? If, infernal affairs. Infernal affairs. Was you it. know, and it was graded as the departed. Um, so the, the gangster films, probably like science fiction, I suppose. Science fiction do make is another film that makes social statements. You know, we we are at a point now where, with what's going on in the world, where. I think the creativity and imagination are going to come to the fore again. You know, the gangster genre, I think like the action genre, I think it ran its course with things. Genres do recycle. So Tarantino is now coming to the end of his cycle. Be interested to see what he does for his 10th and final film after Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Is this the ninth or 10th? This is the ninth film okay. that he's doing. Um, so Is there I any talk about the 10th or what it would be? No, I mean, I think Tarantino's... Oh, Karim right. was just telling me that he said he might be doing a Star Wars, or he wanted to do a Star, Trek. Star Trek. But I think he's he's abandoned that now. Okay. But anyway, so the idea is is that the... They didn't want Uhura going around barefoot the whole time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so just generally, I mean, the I think the gangster movie per se will will re, will come back at some point. Yeah. I just feel that the the Irishman is kind of a way of... A, is kind of a coder to say to people, look... Scorsese said, "Look, this is my final because it was. It kind of felt it was a goodbye." Yeah. Pesci probably just said, "You know, let's do it." De Niro said, "Look, we, we better get on and do this and get it out of the way because it was a book that De Niro wanted to do." Yeah, they got it together. I didn't like it as a story. I thought for your final 
film, gangster film. It could have just gone, right, let's just go balls out, a casino-y type. Let's throw all the old tropes in there. But the story of the Hoffa, no one gives a shit now. No one knows who Hoffa is. Like, the kids don't give a fuck. Yeah, I mean, it's odd because in England, yeah, England, even yeah, so England, we don't know about him at all. Story but to it's, go out it's on also that. like a beautiful day in the neighborhood. You know, that is a very American story. I mean, it, it, Fred Rogers is, you know, he's, you know, but that's the thing now. Now, that would make a really interesting one. Um, I don't know if you know, if you've read um, Ronnie LeDrew, who was responsible for puppeteering Zippy. No. <laughs> okay. So um here's a great this 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 would make a bloody great book film. Um Ronnie LeDrew was one Get of ready the, puppet- for the copyright of the was one of, was one of the puppeteers on on Rainbow. Okay. And Rainbow right. was do you know what Rainbow was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So um what was quite funny is he's told this story. Did you say so Rainbow was what a British so it, was, it was basically with... a twenty minute um daily show. It was a it was a kid's show in I Britain. used to in Britain and it basically had a guy called Jeffrey Hayes and there was this this big Chewbacca type bear bungle, like bungle. bungle. And then you had like George who was a gay a kind of little pink hippo. Pink hippo who was gay. But they're they're making oh, jokes yeah. about it now. Um, but the thing is, is because of all the Operation Nutri thing, Ronnie LeDrew has written a warts and all biography where basically Rod, Jane and Freddie, for example, apparently oh, yeah. Rod and Jane were, were involved as partnership and Freddie was having an affair with Jane. Because <laughs> so, uh, Zippy was just a... And he had a zip. So the funny thing is... is <laughs> it's about free speech. So <laughs> the funny thing is the book actually somebody it would be a really fun thing because it would I think it would be really hilarious to do something which actually sort of really goes behind the scenes of you know because with operation neutral it's sort of dial it's sort of darkened the whole thing about it's TV, thing yeah. but ronnie ledrew i i sort of read an extract and i thought this is bloody hilarious because it, it's it's genuinely a um it's like the tears of a clown it's funny and hilarious yeah. and innocent but at the same time there's a cloud over there yeah yeah it's it's very much a um thing but um but yeah no the, 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 you know it's 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 is one of those things where you know the the gangster movie does does bring out some interesting things I mean, well it was called the irishman i thought it was a, a remake of that good film of the irish fella in america new york to do with the trade unions wasn't it do you remember it came out um a few know. years ago oh god what was it called you must the and he he kept goading on the mafia because they kept trying to kill him and they like the bomb would explode, but it would blow up the wrong car. Mm. Big tall guy. It was made about seven years ago, and it was about the Irish mafia. One bloke, big, what, big two. Them on. Yeah, and it's a famous case where they kept trying to kill him, and the accidents kept happening where they didn't like, kill him. So he started. This, to this think, sounds more like a Roadrunner cartoon. Mm. <laughs> no, it's, and it's funny because it it's based on the real guy, and you can watch real footage. He's going to the cameras and saying, "Look, they know where I live. This is my address." Yeah. But then they kept fucking up, and then he started to believe in his head. He was some like reincarnated yeah. warrior thing so he's just sat waiting for him and then eventually they had to get some guy from new york to send mm. over specifically but it, he was irish and that was the big thing but um it was so when i heard the irishman i thought that's what it was about it's quite a big film i thought it's probably you haven't mm. heard about it but i think I the uh, well they do mention the original novel title on the beginning of the film which is i hear you paint houses it is well, it's, okay, in, it's indicated it. on the titles of the irishman anyway. um any honorary mentions uh, what for gangster yeah. films? Um, I would re- I would recommend. We touched on it briefly. I would recommend um, a most violent year. What year was it? Only a couple of years ago. It's got yeah. Oscar Isaac and yeah. Jessica Chastain yeah. in it. Um, there's. I'm trying to think of other good sort of. 
uh, in terms of British gangster films, um, well, I think the Guy Ritchie films are the really high profile. I mean, things like um, was there a triple? So you had Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, Snatch. Snatch. And what, was there a third? Oh, one? the other one was Revolver. Yeah, and which, that, which was absolutely it? was. It was one of the worst. It was dreadful. It was just like I'm, I've not seen. I've heard. It was. I I watched it. It was kind of. It kind of was brain numbing. Because Guy Ritchie was trying to do something which, you know, I, I think this is where it becomes, I think this is where a director, you know, he does like Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels was modest. Then he did Snatch and stuff. And, um, but with the, with a lot of these movies, you know, I think they're the same old, same old. I think you, when you see Danny Dyer or Ray oh, Winston God. in there, um, but it, it's, it is, diff- you know, I mean. I can't think of the last British sort of gangster well, been done, haven't they? I that, mean, in terms of cinema theme. releases, you get a lot of the sort of um, well, most of them, this DVD is the thing, aspects. most of them go straight to DVD. Yeah, no, I, I saw, um, I, I did, um, I've done one, there was one which I did with, um, there's a couple I've seen recently, but they went straight to video, um, but they were, they were okay. I mean, they, they were a little different. Um, I'm trying to remember who the star was, <laughs> um. Well, that was gangster movies. Yeah, I'm trying. Can't can't think of any other. Enel Bromet. We have had a pretty good cover of. I'm sure there'll be other ones. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Yeah, it's. Um, I suppose you've got things like Eastern Promises. Does that count as a gangster film? Yes, with Viggo the David Cronenberg. Yeah, Viggo Mortensen, the David Cronenberg film. That and that's was, interesting because it's Russian. Um, there, there was also the um, History of Violence. We've had oh, Her- yeah, yeah. Ed Harrison. Where, yeah. Again, that was a really great one because he he plays Viggo Mortensen plays this character who works in a restaurant or a deli. Then Ed Harris turns up and he's got a scar on his face because he he insists that bloody Viggo Mortensen did that to him. Like it was like a um, was it like a like barbed wire or something? I can't remember now. But it's but again, Cronenberg did the, these two movies. I think were fantastic in terms of their, you know, these were getting back to when Cronenberg was doing really solid films. Anyway, yeah. the, the it's, uh, Eastern Promises was very the good. the Bronx Tale, which class that as a gangster film. Oh, yeah, that like was that, that was cute. It's got a gang in that it. That was cute because it was um, a father and son and Chaz Palm. Well, it was based on Chaz Palm and Terry's um, stage play, and he oh, and then play. Robert De Niro purchased it and then. Yeah, because De Niro was supposed to play the gangster. Yeah. I was listening to him. Well, Chaz to... Palm, Chaz Palm and Terry was a one man show. I think he did it on Broadway as off Broadway as a one man show, and then De Niro came to see it and liked it, and then he expanded it and made it into his de- directorial debut. Because, oh God, who's the baddie in it? Sonny something, the Italian fella. Um, Sonny, oh, whatever his name, but but he was supposed to be the director. Because De Niro directed. But they, he, they, yeah. De Niro had met him and he said, um, will you play the, the gangster? And he said, no, they're not, if you try and fund this, they're not going to let you, let me fund it. I'll be the the, the main guy. And then I'll make myself the mm. father and make you the gangster. Yeah, that was Charles Palmer, Pammy and Terry. And so who he, is that the actor? That was the actor. He oh, was actually, he played, he, just for information, he played the police investigator in The Usual Suspects. Yeah, he was the one who was interrogating Kevin Spacey. <clears throat> is he, doesn't he also play Joey Zaza in, is he Joey Zaza in Godfather 3? No, that was Joe Mantegna. Oh, that's a yes, yeah, yeah, sorry. So Joe Mant- um so yeah, Godfather Part 3 was, um, I think it was unfortunately criticised because Sofia Coppola was cast as um, the daughter. I don't think of she's Mary. that bad. People no, she's not bad, yeah. but I think Winona Ryder, who was originally mm. going to play it, but again, she she withdrew because of exhaustion. 
you know she was a she arrived in um she arrived in rome about two days before film began to begin and then she literally collapsed yeah did and did robert deval refuse to come back or yeah he kind oh. of he he didn't want to do he didn't want to do it um interestingly enough at one point when that was being developed stallone was actually attached to go oh who would he have been playing no the but, but the, no but that um, was saying it was it was touted at the time when coppola when they were sort of trying to put it in development, I know at one point, probably around 1991 to, I mean, Stallone was actually attached to the thing, but I, I just feel that I think what Stallone would have done is he would have clearly tried to make it more like, um, an action movie. But you're right. What you said before, if you had of change the name yeah change it a little else. bit yeah, and let people assume that it's sort Pacino of, in it still yeah let it, people go no that was sort of the end of godfather you would have been all right but don't go yeah. there this is the next installment i mean i do like the fact that you have people like nero back in it um you know that the assassin like carlo yeah, and yeah. all those guys are back in it still i mean they're doddery old men trying to <laughs> i murder got confused people. in that because who's the the guy that kills the the guy in the hospital and they shoot him the assassin yeah in, but then there's the, another assassin. The, no, he has two. The same. They have to because it's the um, the other bodyguard from Sicily originally. So they go when they go. Yeah, back so to I the, got confused. Who was who? Well, they also retcon it because I think he actually gets killed in Godfather Two, doesn't mm. he? But then they retcon it that he was just wounded or something. They so there was two really old fellas that were assassins. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was. So there's um, Neri, isn't it? Is the assassin in yeah. the, the, So he's the assassin in one and two, and I think he did, he dies in two, doesn't he? Yeah. He gets killed after he kills. Um, uh, spoiler alert! Um, uh, I've forgotten his name. The now, priest. No, after he kills in Godfather Two, after he kills, um, who's the primary antagonist? The Ju- Ju- the Jewish gangster, the old Jewish gangster. Oh, um, Hyman Roth. Hyman, Hyman Roth. Roth. Thank you. Yeah. So I think he yeah killed, yeah in he, the hospital. He, he, yeah. he, no, he, he shoots puts a him. pillow over him, doesn't he? No, I don't think so. He shoots him at the airport, mm. doesn't he? Yeah. So, but he gets oh. shot running away. But then they retcon it in three that he's still alive. Oh, okay, right. Um, I mean, that just one of my favourite sequences in Godfather is the um, is the climax with the five families being killed, yeah. and there's the sequence, the the editing in that where you go from, you know, the way it's edited, where you have you know the four things, and it's the music is playing, and then of their christening the baby, which of mm. course is played yeah, by yeah. the baby Sofia yeah, Coppola. Yeah. Um, Albert, Albert, um, Andy Garcia on the set of The Godfather Part Three, um, Coppola said to him, he, "So you see my daughter Sophia over there? She was the baby in Godfather, <laughs> Godfather One." But I, lo- I mean, I love things like when um, somebody gets sh- Mo Green gets shot in the yeah, eye because yeah, he looks up, but he has to put his glasses on, <laughs> and, and then the thing is close. Yeah. And then there's the thing where the girl gets trapped, and then there's the shooting of the couple in the bed and stuff like that. But it's the Again, the editing is really put together. Did you see the uh, John Gotti film? The John, John Travolta? I haven't, oh, I haven't seen that one. Oh, God. Apparently, it's not great. It's not. Funny enough, the, uh, the good John Gotti film is the one that was made before that, a few years before. Mm. A bit more of a TV. I, don't, I can't remember who played him. But that was actually quite good. Yeah. That, that worked. The, the other one was like, uh, they're just trying to fit the story. It doesn't too much stuff on the side. Um, it's not a film, but as a sort of quasi... I mean, it lost its way as it went on, but uh, was Boardwalk Empire. I've seen that. Yeah, that's um. It was executive produced by um Scorsese, I think, but it starred Steve. I can never know if it's Buscemi or Buscemi. Steve, Steve Buscemi. Buscemi, yeah. No, who um, again? He, he again. He he kind of has that look. You know, I think his his manic look about him. I mean, there's. I mean, that's the other thing. Finally, is like the look of the Godfathers. You know, that there's 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 certain gangsters. Like, I think it it happened with like 
going to some of the comedy things like analyze this i mean i love that very funny that moment. verse on yes and then um then of course you had the gangsters running the um running the shipyards in the razor you know the scene where um you know like he goes he goes he got and swatchy goes you know you do realize that there are people with air arms on the on the on your dockland and he goes that I did not know about. <laughs> was that Analyze This a gangster film then? Well, it uh, wasn't. No, no. It was just basically De Niro in it. Analyze This, yeah, it's yeah. a it's a comedy. It's basically um, De Niro is De Niro is a gangster. You're shaking your head. De Niro De, De, De died De Niro, off De Niro, the casino. I haven't heard from no, him since. De Niro is basically a gangster who's traumatized, and basically Billy Crystal becomes a therapist, and of course Lisa Billy, Kudrow plays yeah. the wife. So. Of course, first, it, I think I, I haven't seen Analyze That. I'm reliably informed. It's I don't not great, but it. Analyze This is quite funny. I yeah, think. and there's a scene where, and there's a wonderful moment at the the end where Billy Crystal is posing as the gangster, and he, he slaps, he literally shap, slaps the, the, the gangster. And again, this is the other funny thing because he co- corrects him because he can't say consulary. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, shut up. He goes, belly, balabam, balabing, belly, boo. Yeah. <laughs> so that's gangster movies. That is gangster movies. Gangster I think movies. we've gone through. I mean. Not, most of them, not all of them. Yeah, I think. the the top ones at least. Yeah, I would well, say I so. I think that to me that was I just felt that um it it was always it's always interesting because I think for me it was about reflecting on the gangster film. Mm. I, I, and also it it's it's also nice because um you know sometimes we we see so many of them and and I mean the familiarity of the titles for example are pretty much um what we all know you know yeah. you know. And I kind of felt, well, the good thing about this podcast is, you know, they are titles that everybody's familiar with. One of the many good things about this podcast yeah. is that they're... Yes. <laughs> many good things, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That was uh, Theo whistling slash oh, ruining the audio. <laughs> now. Yeah, you can see Karem look up there in shock. Um, Someone's got anything else to say? No, that's also not interference. That's John doing the uh, the other theme. Yeah, There's yeah, another theme. Got... Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, sorry. So um, I, was, I was definitely going to look up this book. So this making really movies, making Sydney movies Lumet. by Sydney Lumet. Yeah. Lumet. Nobody corrected me. No, I'm going with Lumet, mate. Oh, okay. Mate. <laughs> okay, fine. What does it say? What does it read this here? It says, this is by Roger Ebers. goes, invaluable. I am sometimes asked if there is one book a filmgoer could read to learn more about how movies are made and what to look for while watching them. This is the book. Roger Ebert, the New York Times book review. I'll also just read the two other things on the back. Remarkable, as dignified as the movies Lumet has made and yet deeply felt and very moving. Anyone who truly loves movies ought to read what he has to say about them. Delightfully engrossing, New York Times, Los Angeles Times. Film would be a better place if every director was required to share with other romancers of film his process. It is a gift to us all that it is Sidney Lumet, one of America's greatest filmmakers, who is sharing his point of view, Steven Spielberg. Oh. What's the um, the the really good documentary about um, digital versus film? With side them? by side. Um, what's with Keanu Matrix? Matrix. Yeah. yeah, that's that's very good. Yeah. Mm. Uh, as a as a a fascinating uh, look at how not to make a film and it is about gangsters um if you google i mean other search engines are available but don't bother um if you just google a film called the big i am i think you'll find a link it's to um, uh i can't remember the i think it's something like like lights gangsters disasters is the is the sub headline and it's mm. about it's a very candid interview with the people who made this british gangster film a couple of years back had a pretty decent budget, had on the face of it quite a decent cast. You had Leo Gregory, Vincent Regan, and Michael Madsen, amongst others. Um, and it was just the making of it was just a disaster. You just read it and you're just like, what is going on? <laughs> but it's really fascinating. Um, yeah. What's that called? The film is called The Big I Am. So I think if you look it up, um, it, I mean, 
maybe if you looked up the big I am making of article, something like that, it's they're just really candid about what a um, a clusterfuck that the making <laughs> of that film was. Mm. So it's really interesting, yeah. Well, there you go. That's gangster films. And that's gangster Thanks, films, yes. John. So thank you, John. Your first welcome. guest we'll of 2020 from... as well, actually. Really? 2020, oh, that's first right. guest. Yeah. 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 We've got the new pop filters since you've been here. Yeah. Impressed? Hmm? New pop filters. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> slightly, slightly darker blue than All the other ones. up. He's up. It crims up. He's ready. <laughs> his his, his pizza's arrived. All right. Cheers. Right. Uh, Cheers, everyone. Thank you. guys. Bye. Bye. Take another drink